And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Pete McCarthy, Tim Britton, the latest edition of The Metrospective. Steve Cohen introducing himself to Mets fans. Sandy Alderson reintroducing himself to Mets fans on Tuesday. And in a way that was uh, a breath of fresh air, to, to say the very least. And Tim, if, if there was any doubt about this, the lol Mets era, if we're going to call it that, I mean, it's over. Yeah, you know, we don't name our podcasts after people anymore, but I'd be tempted to name this one like the Bob Murphy podcast because this is the happiest recap of a press conference that the Mets have ever had in their history. You know, with with the Wilpon, like the bar was pretty low for Steve Cohen coming in in terms of, of impressing in a press conference setting. Press conferences themselves being such an obstacle for the Wilpons over the years. You've had press conferences that have gone totally off the rails for this franchise. Not just for, for Fred and Jeff, but for uh, other members of the organization, often because they're trying to cover for Fred and Jeff. Uh, but, you know, whatever, however high you wanted to set the bar, uh, I think... The combination of Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson cleared it on Tuesday. You know, Cohen is not a guy we know a whole lot about in terms of a, a public relations standpoint, in terms of like what he is as a public spokesman, because even, you know, the hedge fund industry is not the most forward facing one in the world. And even within that world, he was pretty quiet. Uh, you know, there's there's a reason we're only we have like the same three pictures of the guy in all of our stories, and that's because there's just not a lot of pictures of him out there. Uh, so to see him in that environment where he's taking questions and answering off the cuff, you know, his first statement seemed like it was being read off of a teleprompter, but from that point, uh, he kind of nailed everything you want to hear from an owner uh, off the cuff, uh, and I thought that was that was not necessarily how I expected him to be in that setting, uh, and then. Even even Sandy Alderson sounded uh, as free and loose as he did when we had him on on our podcast six months ago uh, when he didn't have a major league job. That was that was a little bit different Sandy than we were used to hearing uh, during his his previous eight years as the GM. And I want to get back to Sandy in a bit and, and tie all of that together, our conversation with him and, and what we heard on Tuesday. But getting back to Steve Cohen, what I heard, we've talked about this. What kind of owner will he be? Will he operate like a fan which maybe is someone who gets a little too involved because they're so eager to you know be able to have a voice in baseball decisions uh, I think you know would he operate like a business and I don't think we necessarily thought that he would be in this camp but there were certainly possible owners that you would think would look at this as something that it's more of an investment than anything else and listening to Steve Cohen and look the future will bear this out. We'll see what the actions are. But if you're a Mets fan listening to him, Steve Cohen sounds like he's going to operate this team in an almost philanthropic manner, right? He wants to do this for the fans. He wants to spend money on all things, the farm system, 
on free agents. He wants to give those resources to the team. And he wants to allow the baseball people to make the baseball decisions. Now, that is your dream, absolute dream owner and somebody who respects the history of the franchise. I, I, <laughs> it's just, it's almost like too much, right? I mean, like, how do you check all of those boxes? What might it be in practice will be the questions going forward. But I mean, look, it, it sounds like he's buying this as like a public trust almost <laughs> for the people. And that's what he made it sound like. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume the the way that everything is structured financially, it will not quite operate that way. Uh, but I do think, you know, you set up that kind of spectrum of being an owner that is is kind of your, your everyday fan versus an owner who's going to run it strictly as a business. Uh, and your hope as a Mets fan is that Cohen is the proper hybrid of those two things, fan enough to care deeply about how the team performs uh, and wanting them to be good and to win, uh, but also business enough i don't know the grammar here is off business uh, savvy enough yeah business savvy enough uh to run the team more objectively than you know you or me or mets twitter would on a regular basis and not be quite as uh emotional or uh as as quick triggered as a usual fan would be or as you know a guy like george steinbrenner often was running yeah. the yankees uh you hope that he does is able to maintain that kind of uh, emotional distance and allow his baseball people to make the baseball decisions. You know, Steinbrenner famously said he was not there to be an activist owner, or not not active in ownership when he was introduced as a Yankees owner. So you have to see how it plays out. Uh, but he said all the right things and hit all the right notes in that that opening first impression today of being that right mix in between those two those two pole ends of the spectrum. And I think one of those questions will be how much patience is there. Right, well, George Steinbrenner, there was never a whole lot of patience when he was in the picture. Uh, in the case of Steve Cohen, he's saying, hey, it would be really nice to win a World Series within three to five years. So he's already putting a timeline on this whole thing. I thought it was, maybe wild isn't the right word. I thought it was just something else. That the expectations, I, I think they are sky high for Steve Cohen. And I understand that, you know, you talk about a low bar to clear, but Mets fans are so eager for Steve Cohen to take over this team, and they feel like he is going to save this team, and they're going to be a sustained winner. And Steve Cohen didn't say anything that would damper those expectations. Neither did Sandy Alderson, and he kind of, you know, that was what he did in the in the years of his previous tenure with the Mets. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cohen said it's it's difficult to win a World Series, but that's that's the plan here. And you know, he pointed to the Dodgers as a team that that's built the kind of infrastructure that he likes. You know, I made the Steinbrenner comparison, but one of the interesting things is how different baseball is now than when Steinbrenner bought the Yankees, uh, and and for the majority of the time he owned the Yankees, where free agency was really effective way to build your team. You know, that was the way to get. You know, Steinbrenner bought the team. The the Yankees were not quite as popular. They weren't running New York City at that time. Uh, in the mid-1970s when they were playing a year in Shea Stadium and lagging in attendance behind the Mets. Uh, so free agency was a way for him to catch up. Free agency isn't quite the uh, be-all and end-all of building a really good team uh, the, the way it might have been for for stretches of that time. Of course, they, they developed players also, uh, the core four and all that. Um, and you see, you know, Cohen put, I think, the proper amount of emphasis on a player development style with the Mets. They want to develop as many players as you can from within, build that infrastructure, and then add from outside when you need to. You don't want to be 
you want, you want those piece, kind of secondary pieces rather than all of the primary ones. Uh, and I think that that sounded wise. And, and uh, like you said, no matter what your expectations were coming into today, uh, they weren't tempered really at all. I think if you're a Mets fan, I think you're giddy, uh, you know, super enthusiastic. I don't know, ebullient. I don't know what word best describes what it looks like on Mets Twitter on Tuesday. Well, listen, the, the organization isn't comparing itself to, uh, you know, e- even the Braves, right? I, and they're comparing themselves to the Dodgers. Uh, they're comparing themselves, well, they didn't really say the Yankees. They, they kind of avoided that, actually. But they did say they want to be an iconic franchise. The Yankees are iconic. The Mets have not been iconic over the course of their history. Though, as Sandy Alderson said, it is a storied history. You have two World Series championships. But you need not, not only sustained success, which was kind of Sandy's tagline the first time around, but some sustained dominance and... Um, you know, I, I thought it was fun listening to Sandy just because we've heard his messaging before. We know what he's about. He wasn't someone that was pounding his chest in his first stint with the Mets, yet he wasn't limiting any expectations this time around, which, I mean, it just feels like the shackles are off. And Sandy, from hiring a general manager to free agency to the example he gave about Brad Hand, who could have been had for $10 million, essentially on a one-year contract. He said, hey, if we were in position earlier, we might have jumped on that. And so it's an example of just how this team can operate going forward. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic because of Alderson's experience with the prior ownership group that kind of the way he operates will be kind of a window into how Steve Cohen is operating. Like if if Steve Cohen's there today and you have a team president who's never worked for the who never worked for the Wilpons, who's never worked with the Mets before, you know, if it's if it's Mark Shapiro or someone like that, another team president uh, in baseball or Dave Dombrowski or someone and they're they're saying all these things, you're not greeting it quite the same way. You know, you're you're looking at it a little bit more skeptically because you know, that person doesn't really know how it works here or how it has worked here. With Alderson, he knows the history here. He knows what it was like before. Uh, you know, I, I asked him, do you kind of have to change the way the people who have been here think? Uh, and that's when he talked about Brad Hand. Like, yeah, you can think bigger. Uh, we can we can prioritize the acquisition rather than the, the cost of the acquisition uh, in a move like that. Uh, and that you know, people are used to doing things a certain way that the horizons have expanded a little bit. Uh, and I think the comfort and the in, the clear enthusiasm Alderson had is a reflection of, of how optimistic he is that things are really different now than they were before. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And I did sense when we interviewed Sandy in the spring, and this is before any whiff of a rumor that Sandy Alderson would become involved with uh, with the Mets, with Steve Cohen. I, I believe he said today, what, what was the timeline? He had sent a memo to Steve Cohen back in back in the winter, um, so even, even prior to our interview with him? Well, he had met him uh, last December. Uh, I think they had a breakfast or something like mm-hmm. that uh, when the, that first deal was was on the table. Uh, he'd been introduced by Andy Cohen, who's Steve Cohen's right-hand man, but not a relation, uh, and, and had represented Steve in minority owners meetings to that point, so knew Sandy a little bit. Uh, so they got he got to know Steve that way. They kind of kept in t- in contact over the the few months or the the now eleven months. Uh, the memo was a couple months ago. I'm not sure exactly. I don't think Sandy said when that was, but that was probably when it became a bit more serious for him. My guess would be that would be sometime in the summer when it looked like Steve Cohen had more of a, sh- a shot to actually buy the team a second time around. You know, I think when we were talking to him in May, maybe that had started to become more of an inkling again. Um, but I you know I felt at the time that. That Sandy talked to us certainly as like someone who who didn't expect to be back in baseball uh, and certainly not with the same organization this soon. Now it's fascinating. If you haven't heard that interview, I, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it, and y- you get a pretty honest, open window into how the Mets operated in those years under Sandy Alderson, what he thought uh, about his legacy, and at the end. What he thought of Mets fans, uh, his cancer battle and the way that people in New York responded to him. First of all, I think I think he enjoyed just living in New York, but the way that the Mets fans responded to him, whether it be at the coffee shop and things like that, asking how he was doing, if he was doing okay, that seemed to really mean a lot to him. And I do sense that that he feels there's some unfinished business if he didn't quite go so far as to say that on Tuesday. Yeah, I think, you know, Mark Craig and I are working on a story uh, that, that should come out later this week about Sandy and his motivation here. And that's that's not that's not a phrase he's used, but it's it's a phrase some people around him have used uh, unfinished business. You know, when we talked to him back in May, you got the sense that what really disappointed him was what happened in 2017 and 2018, where he felt like, you know, in 15 and 16, they make the postseason consecutive years. It's only the second time that it ever happened in franchise history. And you felt pretty good about the core of that team, especially your pitching staff, that that could be the start of a, a sustainable winner uh, in New York, the one that he'd been trying to build for so long, the one that the Mets have really not had outside of that stretch in the 1980s. Um, and then it they just kind of fell flat in 2017, uh, and then 2018, you get off to to two weeks of a good start, and then had an awful uh, next couple months. Uh, and they had horrible. Ten- I mean, to be honest, they had horrible off seasons, horrible signings. Uh, I look, and we could talk about them being hamstrung financially in that front office. But I, I said that to Sandy. It just felt like you had everything in place, and then you didn't hit on a, a lot of those other secondary moves that you had to at that point. Yeah, you know, the Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak deals, Jason Vargas, none of those came to fruition the way they had earlier in his tenure. You know, the the Cologne deal being Mm -hmm. a good one, the Curtis Granderson deal. Um, And so, you know, you got the feeling that he didn't want to leave on that note. And it's such a rare opportunity to come back to the same organization and to come back under different circumstances and and more encouraging ones, clearly, that and there so is a chance here. Yeah, to, to basically say, you know what, it was a little two-year sabbatical, essentially, uh, come back and you've got a chance to do everything you thought you could, you might have been able to do 
back in 2010. You know, he mentioned in that interview uh, how, you know, when he got the job in 2010, he didn't realize the extent uh, to which he'd be uh, shackled over the next several years because of the Madoff scandal, that that was kind of news to him. That was news to everyone in the Mets front office at that time. Uh, so the whole idea of Moneyball with money, the way Paul D. Podesta put it back then, uh, that never really got off the ground. You know, it was it was less money than anyone expected. Uh, and so now you've got a shot to really put that into place. And, and for Sandy, it's maybe a chance to cement a legacy. This is a guy who's won four pennants. He's won a World Series. Uh, he's He's probably up there under consideration as a Hall of Famer, uh, a Hall of Famer baseball person as an executive, um, but he's not quite there yet. And you can imagine how fulfilling it would be, how gratifying to put that kind of cherry on top of, of his career if he's able to deliver the, that World Series uh, on Steve Cohen's timeline. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, Mets fans, they had to love and they did love everything that they heard on Tuesday. Uh, the only people happier than Mets fans right now are, are player agents. Having heard uh, what was said today, the Mets are going to spend. They are going to be active this winter. I think the only question is, in what ways do they do it? Do they, they go through the big ticket items like a JT Real Muto, a Trevor Bauer, who uh, Sandy Alderson said would be a really interesting fit in New York with his personality on WFAN later in the day? Uh, is it... Or is it more like Brad Hands? And, and you kind of sit back in January, a year where a lot of teams don't want to spend and see what's out there. And I, I think that's what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about over the course of this offseason. The Mets are going to be the team in baseball to watch uh, what they do over the course of this hot stove. And it's been a while since we could say that, Tim. Shopping in the gourmet aisle, Pete. <laughs> Good show, Tim. Adios, Pete. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.